progress, growth, change, maturity. These words might fill us with energy, or they might fill us with cynicism. Is progress in our spiritual lives even possible? And if so, how do we measure it? How can we see and celebrate growth in ourselves? How can we pursue progress in a way that really lasts? Maybe it's time to look at these ideas through new eyes. Eyes that see both our innate belovedness and the possibilities in our becoming. Maybe it's time to see some progress. This morning I'm, I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before, so you're witnesses to it, and it has to do with this brown paper sack right here, but we'll deal with that later. Um, we are in the midst of a series, as you saw up there, about progress and the idea of progress. I, I think we all kind of deep down understand that growth and movement is, is important. If you plant a seed and you water that seed and you give it sunlight and it does not grow, there is not progress in movement, you say something's wrong. That seed is dead and there's something wrong with that seed and, and we have that sense. When you have a child and they're little and they don't grow, you say something's wrong. We need to take this kid to the doctor and find out why they're not growing. In fact, when kids are very little, when babies are very little, this is how you measure progress and success is the growth, the weight, the inches, all of these things that we talk about. I remember when I was a teenager and people would say, and the baby was born and they were this many inches and this many pounds, and I was like, who cares? Like, why are we talking about this? But once I had kids, I understood that it's like, okay, this is how we're going to talk about the development, the movement. So it's very natural for us to do that. And even when we stop growing physically, at least theoretically we should stop growing physically, we still, on some level, measure our growth in different ways. Now, some of them are healthy and good, but some of them are not. And sometimes we measure our progress in life in ways that are not healthy for us, that are not good. And that's what Benjamin kind of started to talk about last week, is the idea, that, okay, we have all these ways of measuring progress in our life, but how do we do that spiritually? What does that metric look like? How do we evaluate if we are growing or if we are dying spiritually in our lives? And, and it's a good question. It's a question that some of us have been handed traditions and ideas about what that looks like that actually weren't true and that were actually hurting our souls, not helping us grow in the process. And, and if you missed that lesson from Benjamin last week, you can, you can listen to it. You can listen to it through the website. You can go on your podcast app and, and uh, search for Element, listen in. And not only that sermon, but lots of sermons. And you should listen to that sermon. Because in that, that lesson last week, he used the word manure at least 10 times. <laughs> which is interesting. And I also like the accent, which I just used, that he used to say it, manure. This way he said it. I grew up just saying manure. You know, he said it the way I imagine the French would say it. Manure. You know, like that. So, 
Yeah, or Alabama, French Alabama. You know, a lot of French people in Alabama. And so, um, but you can go back and listen to a lot of things. And, and just as an aside, as we're talking about progress, I mean, it's pretty amazing that you can just pull out your phone and do that. When, when I was a kid, when I was 10 years old, I was technologically very adept and advanced. And what the church I grew up in, they would tape record all the sermons. And as soon as the final word was said, the guy in the AV booth would press stop, pull out the tape, hand it to me. I would run across the church building into this utility closet where they had a duplication machine. It was this giant beast of a machine. And you'd pop the master in one, and then three duplicates pop, pop, pop in, and you'd press go. And then it would whirl, like super hyper fast, and it was really loud. We had to close the door. And there was this like really terrible light in there. So it was like me all by myself, 10 years old in this closet, listening to these things. And in about two and a half minutes, you had three copies. And I would pull those tapes out and pop three more tapes in and go. And we had the pre-printed labels. And we'd stick them on. So while they were singing the closing song, and the elder was getting up and doing the final, you know, whatever. And then he would say in his final words, and if you liked this sermon, out on the credenza in the foyer, which even just saying that makes me want to watch Downton Abbey. But, but he would say on the credenza in the foyer, you can take home a copy of this, of this sermon. Now, he would never mention it was because of the 10-year-old working for free in the back utility closet that this was possible. But he would say, you could take a tape of this home. You could give it to a friend if you think it would help them. You know, which, and then people would walk out in the foyer and buy, like, you know, Cinderella mice. There was, you know, these tapes out there. And now I'm like, man, we're just downloading it on an app. Anyway, progress. Okay, so why did I talk about that? So anyway, okay, now let's talk about progress for a little bit. Now, I, I, I want to start by reading a verse in Romans chapter 5. We're going to start here, and we're going to come back to this. So, so if you've got your own Bible, you can, you can hold it, and we'll come back to it in a little bit. Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 3, says, kind of in the middle of the verse, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, to talk about a way, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about different ways of talking about progress, different metaphors. And we're going to talk about one metaphor today that fits right into these verses. And to talk about it and understand it, I want to talk about Moses. Moses, a character we all love. Now, this is the interactive part. When I say Moses, what pops up in your mind? What do you think of? First, just right off the, when I said the word Moses, what popped up for you? Charlton Heston. Yep, Ten Commandments. Let my people go. Moses, what pops up for you? Parting the Red Sea. What else? He killed a guy. Killed an Egyptian. Yep, changed the whole trajectory of his life. He was a murderer. Gray hair. 
We think of great, I don't know why you're thinking about that, Will, but, but I can't imagine. And maybe the length of yours, too, he might have had. The old law. Yep. Yep. I think of that, too. Anybody else? When you think of Moses, what pops up? Jordan, you're smiling at me. You don't have anything now? Burning bush. That's a good one with Moses. Moses is such an interesting character because, and I'm not sure if this is true, I didn't validate it, but I think it's possible that we know more of the length of the story of his life than we do any other character in the Bible, perhaps. We know the story about the day when he was born and the story of his birth as a little, little tiny baby before he could do anything. And then we know all the way to literally the moment of his death. I don't think we have another person in the Bible that we know, and it's 120 years that lasted. So that's a pretty long span. Now, what's also interesting about Moses historically is that his life is conveniently broken up into 40-year chunks. And that makes it easy to kind of get a sense of Moses' story because it's 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. First 40 years of Moses' life, what was his life like? This is another interactive part. Well, how would you describe Moses' life, the first 40 years of his life? Comfortable. Comfortable. Who was he hanging out with? Who was he living with? Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Maybe the greatest, at that moment, the greatest empire in the world with the most prosperity, the most control, the most power, the most progress. And he was living in luxury as an Egyptian. But was he an Egyptian? No, no, he wasn't. Now, the second 40 year, the, the moment, because there were always moments that defined these changes in his life, movement from one period to another. It changed when he knew in his heart that he was not an Egyptian, that he was an Israelite, and he saw an Egyptian hurting an Israelite who were slaves, and he killed that man. He killed him in a moment of anger, killed. He killed that guy, which then forced him to go into exile. He, he ran and lived in the desert for 40 years. Now, it strikes me as an interesting movement in a person's life to go from 40 years of luxury in the greatest empire in the world to being 40 years in the desert as a nobody, as a nobody as a shepherd watching sheep and goats and cows and who knows what else. But that period ended because of another moment that happened. Someone mentioned it. What moment happened? What happened? He encountered what? A burning bush. A burning bush. It wasn't the singing bush like in the Three Amigos. It was a burning bush. It was a bush that continued to burn but was never extinguished. Never went out. That's what was, it wasn't remarkable that a bush was burning. As a shepherd, 40 years in the, in the desert, the heat and all that, it would not have been weird for him to have seen a bush on fire. That's not weird. What's weird is that the fire never spread and that it just kept burning and never burned itself out, never burned itself down. It was inextinguishable. That's weird. That's what caused Moses to approach it. He then had to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground in the presence of God, and God sent him on a new mission. At that point, Moses said, I'm too old. Too old. I'm 80 years old. 
I'm done. My story is written. But his story was not written. And God sent him on a brand new mission in his life. And you know what that mission was. That's the famous part of the story. Let my people go. Ten plagues. Cross the Red Sea. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Conveniently another 40 years of his life wandering around in a wilderness. But this time, he was not the leader of sheep. He was a leader of millions of people. We don't know how many, but at least millions of people. Knuckleheads wandering around in the wilderness, not because they were too stubborn to ask directions, but because God had them in a holding pattern because of their lack of faith. They were blockheads, and Moses was in charge of managing it for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, there's an interesting moment because where they're trying to head is into the land of Canaan, into this land of promise, that was to be the land that Abraham had promised them, I mean, a long, long time ago. One of God's three promises to Abraham was that they were going to get this land and they were going to live there and they were going to prosper as a great nation. They're wandering around and in the midst of all of their stupidity, they have no water and they complain about it. And God says to Moses, I want you to go over there and speak to that rock. Now, previously, there had been a situation where God told Moses to hit a rock, and water came out of it, and they all drank from that water. But in this situation, God didn't want him to hit the rock. He wanted him to speak to the rock, which is weird, but God says some weird things. That's okay. Well, Moses didn't want to speak to the rock. I think, in fact, when you read the text, it looks like he was mad. He was fed up with these people. And he said, essentially, are you guys so ridiculous that I have to get you water from this rock? That I have to get you water from this rock? And instead of speaking to the rock, he hit it with his staff. The water came out. The people had water. But after that incident, that incident of anger, God said, this promised land we're headed to, you're not going in. You're not going in. You've led these people. You did what I asked. But in this moment of lack of faith, of ego, of anger, of frustration, you don't go in. And your life is going to end here in the desert. In fact, I'm going to take you up to a mountain. You're going to see where the people are going from the top of this mountain. But you don't go in. You don't go in. Now, what's interesting to me that had to have been hard for Moses. Moses had spent... 40 years already in the wilderness as a shepherd contemplating his failure. Sitting there thinking to himself, because of this moment of anger where I lashed out and murdered a man, I am now exiled, not just from the luxury, but also from my family, from the place I came from, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, all of those people that raised me and that I love, I'm exiled for all of it because of a moment of anger. And now here he is again at the end of his life suffering the consequences of his anger. No better than he was before. The same person he was before as angry and as weak and as full of imperfection and mistakes as you could be, 
Moses made no progress. No progress. He was the same. But you can't really say that about Moses. Because that's not true. If you look at that 120 years of Moses' life, there was so much progress. He was able to do things in that last 40 years of his life that he couldn't do in the first 40 and that he couldn't do in the second 40. God was over many years moving him, growing him, changing him, evolving him, making him more. But was he perfect? He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. That gives me hope for myself. Because when you pick up the Bible and you go into the New Testament, and they talk about Moses, Moses is talked about a couple of times in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3, let's see, verse 5, it says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. And then a few chapters later in Hebrews chapter 11, if you're familiar with this passage, some people call it the hall of faith. It's all these stories of all these people who, by faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. And Moses is in that rundown. In fact, there's like four or five things listed there that he did by faith that he should be held up to be admired as a person of faith. Now, did this writer of the book of Hebrews, who we're not exactly sure who it is, probably Paul, but we're not sure, did he not know about these things, these anger things, these moments that changed Moses' life, very often for the negative, that had major consequences associated? Did he not know that that had happened? Was that part left out of the Torah he read? No. That was in there. That was in there. But those writers and those scholars still understood the growth and the movement over 120 years of Moses' life. And they did not define him or see him by those moments. They saw the big story. They saw the big picture. Now, this is the moment where I'm going to show you what's in this plastic bag. I ordered this on Amazon. It's a slinky. And I remember as a kid... The, do you remember the song? I don't think they even changed it. It's Slinky, it's Slinky. Slinky's a wonderful toy. It's fun for a girl and a boy. I hope they did not pay the person that made that up too much, because that's terrible. But I remember it, so I guess it wasn't so terrible. If you look at a Slinky and the way it works, I mean, I'm holding it up here if you're just listening. It, it's this up and down thing with all of these coils in the middle. And, and you can do things with the slinky. It can walk down a stair. You can pull it like this. You can stretch it and then pull it back together. I'm not exactly sure why this is a wonderful toy for a girl and a boy, but it is interesting to look at. Now, if you look at a slinky, here's what happens. At the very bottom, there's a, there's a start. There's a beginning. But then it twirls around, and it makes a big circle, and then there's another level. Now, if you look at this slinky, by the time you get to the top, it has made progress. It is higher at the top than it is at the bottom. 
But how long is this slinky if we measured it? Like if I pulled this straight, if I straightened this and we measured it from end to end, how long would it be? Much longer than if I push it together like this and hold it vertically. Why does it have to go like this to make this little bit of progress? Because that is the nature of a slinky. But that is also the nature of all of our lives as well. I wish life was an analogy of climbing a mountain and you climb like, a, like it's a flat face. You ever see those documentaries or movies about people that climb flat face mountains? What an insane thing it is. It is like almost like impossible to do. Even a little bit of incline in the mountain changes everything makes it much easier. But when it's flat, that's the hard charging. But the reality is every movement they make is a lot of progress. If you've ever been, I, I one time filmed a wedding in Greece, and it was on an island, and it was on the top of a mountain. And it wasn't that high up, but it took a long time to walk up there. And the reason is because the path up there was these switchbacks. Right? If you know what that means, it's like the path would go like this for a little while, and it was a very slow incline. And then it would get a little way, and it would turn back. And then we'd go, we'd walk for five minutes, and then it would turn back. And so the distance from here to there wasn't that far. But you couldn't humanly get there that way. You had to go back and forth and back and forth. Now, when you reached that farthest left point, had you made progress? Yes, you could look down and see. I'm not that much higher than I was five minutes ago. But I'm a little bit higher. I have a different perspective from here where I stand today than I did before. And now I have to walk all the way back the other way, get to that other side and make a little more progress so that we can walk a little bit more. And at the end, you get to the top and you're like, OK, that was a long walk for not that high of a climb. But that's the only way you can do it. That's the only way you can do it. That's how the slinky works. That's how a coil works, which is our image of growth today. Now, what I wish, what I wish for my own life is that I can say, you know what? I want to be less angry. I want to be less ego-driven. I want to be less selfish. I want to stop saying unkind things. I want to be better with my money. I want to be nicer with, to my wife. I want to be a better dad. And what I wish is that I could then take that straight line and climb that rock face up and immediately arrive where I want to arrive. But progress doesn't work that way. Real, lasting, deep down progress doesn't work that way. It takes some suffering. It takes some patience. It takes perseverance to really build that character within you. And sometimes it's easy to work on something in your life for a long, long time and then in a moment, blow it and be like, I did it again. I thought I had made some progress here. Apparently, I have made no progress. Apparently, I am exactly where I was before. I am no different. I am no better. I am still the ugly, wretched human being I was before. But that's not true. 
That's not true. Because progress looks less like a direct climb and much more like a slinky. Because every loop you go up, you took the long way, but you're a little higher and a little more and a little more. And that's why grace is so important in our lives. Because we have to be willing to give each other and to give ourselves the grace to go on that journey. To cheer each other on as we loop the levels of the coil. A little higher, a little higher. With the faith and perspective to know that sometimes even though we arrive at that exact same spot again on the coil, and you're like, I have made no progress. Here I am in the exact same spot on this slinky that I was before. To, by faith, step back and say, you know, this is kind of the same spot. But by faith, by grace, by love, I'm a little bit higher than I was before. I've made some progress. And I am seeing this circumstance with new insight and new perspective. Sometimes it's even just the ability to more quickly acknowledge what's going on in you. That level of self-awareness you didn't have before. To say, look where I'm at. I'm back here again. But to celebrate how quickly you realized you were. And that level of self-awareness, that's progress. That's movement up the coil. Just to be aware, to be able to stop and recover more quickly. That's progress. That's movement. That's perspective. That's growth. But it's patience. So let's go back to this verse again. In Where were we? Romans. Let's see. Let me find it in mine. I should have stuck a finger in it myself. Romans chapter 5. Let's read it again. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 we rejoice in our sufferings. And Bobby, you can just keep this up because I'm going to kind of slowly go through this. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why would we rejoice in our sufferings? That sounds like a terrible idea. I want to rejoice in my successes, not my sufferings. But there's a reason why the writer Paul here of this book in this letter to the church in Rome, is saying we should rejoice in our sufferings. And here's the reason. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Here's what he's saying. Very often when you suffer, if you will suffer in community and with God and with a desire for progress in your life, the suffering that it takes to go around that coil another time that seems like you're just going in circles, not making any progress, the perseverance, the, the willingness to stay with that, the perseverance, it moved you up a level. It moved you up a level on that coil. And then what it says is that the suffering produces perseverance, and the perseverance produces character. Why does it produce character? Because every time around the loop, Every circle around the track of that coil, you got another level higher. You got another level higher. And what felt to you like an endless loop that would never end? Nope. Every step 
was character building. It was character building. You were becoming more over the long game of your life than you were before. Maybe you'll get 120 years like Moses did. Maybe less. But every step can be progress. But here's my favorite part. Character produces hope. Character produces hope. Why? What is it about building character like it wouldn't seem on the surface that building character builds hope in you? Why? Why is character building hope building? Because when you can have the perspective to see that every step along the way was growth, every step along the way was growth, you start to build that faith and that sense in you that progress is possible. It's possible. I can grow. I can make progress. And that's the most hopeful space you can live in. To look at your life and say, I see where I am today. I can acknowledge it. But I believe deep down, it can be different. It can be different. It can be better. I can move up the coil. I can make progress. And if you can see that about one area in your life, even if it's the smallest little area, you can see it in every part of your life. And if you can see it in your own life, then you can start to see it in others. And you can see it in the world. And that's hope. That's hope. The power to look at where we are today and say, yeah, but you know, there's ugliness, there's desperation, there's terribleness, there's anger, there's sin, there's messes everywhere. But I believe we can suffer through that, that that suffering will produce a perseverance in us that can lead to character. And that character can then create more hope to go through more suffering, to build more perseverance, to build more character, to build more hope, to then go out and take the circle again, to go through more suffering, to build more perseverance, to build more character, to then have even more hope as we go higher and higher and higher up that coil and find that not only are we building our own character and our own identity and our own growth, but that we actually have vision, strength, leadership to give to the world, to help the world one step at a time, one loop at a time, one move at a time, move up the coil, move up the coil. I wish we could see that progress as a straight line from here to the top of the mountain, but we don't. Not in our own lives, not in our children, not in the world. But by suffering in faith, staying with that suffering together, perseverance, we can build character that leads to progress and leads to hope. And that's what I want for every single one of us. And I believe it's God's work in us that can produce that sense of progress. So if today you're struggling, and we could go around this room probably, and every one of us could list off something we're struggling with, that you're wishing you could get there faster. Can I just get there quicker? Isn't there a shortcut? Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's that suffering and perseverance that builds the character we need to find the hope we're longing for. Don't get discouraged. 
We are in it with you. We are here for you. Let's keep moving up that coil together. Let's pray. Father, we ask for you to be in our lives, to keep giving us more and more perspective on who we can be, about how we can grow, and who you long for us to become. We know you see the top of the coil in our lives. You look into our hearts and our souls and see all the things we can become and could be. We don't always see it. We don't always believe, but you do. Help us to have faith, to have trust, to stay with the journey, to grow into, slowly but surely, the people that you have created us to be. Help us to have the faith and the patience to become those people. And help us to encourage each other in the process that we can see the good and that we can help each other through the suffering and in the moments when the cycles seem endless and that we will never reach the top and never reach our destination, that we will have faith for each other, with each other, to walk through that journey together. We love you and we love each other. We love this world and everyone in it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.